Welcome to the Encounter Church Podcast. We believe this message will encourage you as you grow your faith and your relationship with Jesus. Grab your notebook and a pen as we get right into the message. Today we are continuing in an incredible series that we're simply calling More Than a Story. In this series, the goal is to take many of these Old Testament stories. We've already talked about Adam and Eve. We've talked about creation. Today, we're moving to Genesis chapter 6, going through chapter 9. We're going to look at one of our favorite Old Testament stories. But here's what's happening. The population, Bible tells us, has begun to grow rapidly. Violence is filling the earth. God looks upon the earth and he says something that he had never said before. He said, I'm sorry that I ever created them. He realized that action had to be taken, but there was this man by the name of Noah. Let's look at this story. Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 begins with this. The Lord observed the extent of the human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought and imagined was consistently and totally evil. Come on, do we see that happening today? So the Lord was sorry that he even or ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. Verse 7, and the Lord said, I will wipe the human race I have created from the face of the earth. Yes, and I will destroy every living thing, all the people, all the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and even the birds in the sky. I am sorry that I ever made them. Verse 8, but Noah found favor with the Lord. Let me ask you a question today. Is your life, maybe is your lifestyle, finding favor in the eyes of God? Now, if you find yourself compromising, if you find yourself allowing sin to enter in, I want to challenge you when you leave this afternoon, go back and watch last week's message as we talked about the moment that sin entered into existence, that moment when Adam and Eve partook of the fruit and did exactly what God asked them not to do. I want to challenge you, go back and listen to that message. But this morning, I want to look at the, the obedience that Noah took and the instruction that he was given. Now, the Bible says that something or someone caught the eye or the attention of God. God was looking over the earth. He saw the wickedness. They were consistently evil. Their thoughts were consistently evil. And it said that it broke his heart, and he was sorry that he ever created them. It, it's as if all of the heavens were having this conversation about God destroying his creation, then somebody suddenly pipes up and says, hey, I know a guy. So today, I want to take the time and look at the childhood favorites, Noah and the ark. See, I believe there are some things that you and I can learn from this story of this large boat and the obedience of this man by the name of Noah. Let me give you this morning on the onset 
all I really need to know I learned from Noah's Ark. Are you ready for this? Number one, Noah didn't wait for his ship to come in. He built one. Number two, plan ahead. It wasn't raining when Noah built the ark. Number three, stay fit. When you're over 500 years old, someone might ask you to do something really big. Number four, speed isn't always an advantage. The cheetahs were on board the ark, but so were the snails. Next, remember that the ark was built by amateurs and the Titanic was built by professionals. Next, no matter how bleak it looks, if God is with you, there's always a rainbow on the other side. And finally, above all else, don't miss the boat. Why was the flood necessary? Why was it vital that God took the time to cause water to gush out of the ground, water to come from the sky, to flood the earth, to destroy all of creation? Well, truth be told, God had become so disgusted with the fact that sin was evil and it was dominating the world that he vowed to destroy it all. Judgment entered into the relationship between God and man. So God decides to send a great flood to destroy all the evil on the earth. Yet he spared this man by the name of Noah and his family. So today I want to challenge you to take really good notes, whether that's paper copy or maybe you've gone on to the digital app and you're, you're using it there, but take really good notes as we look at four questions we must answer regarding the obedience of Noah. Four questions that you and I must answer today. You see, I believe that all of God's Word is applicable, right? There's something we can learn from every one of these stories. So as we look at the story of Noah and the ark, what are four questions that we need to ask ourselves? Number one is this. Is your walk with God visible? Is your walk with God visible? Something about Noah set him apart. Something about Noah's life was different than everyone else on the earth. All of heaven paused just for a moment and pointed out this man by the name of Noah. What was so visible that would catch heaven's attention? Look what it says in verse 9. Noah was a righteous man. The only blameless person living on the earth at that time. Come on, have you ever had moments when you've gone to work, or maybe if you're a student when you went to school, and you felt like, I'm the only Christian in this place. The rest of these guys are a bunch of hooligans, right? Come on. Could you imagine being Noah? The only righteous person on earth. And he walked in close fellowship with God. Noah was the only righteous, blameless person on earth, and he walked in close fellowship with God. Let's talk about this just for a moment. 
Do not confuse this idea of being blameless and think suddenly Noah was a sinless individual. See, if you continue in the book of Genesis, you find out very soon that Noah made some mistakes. How many of you know we all make mistakes? Anybody in the room ever not make a mistake? Okay, just checking, just checking. Let's look at this. Don't confuse the fact that he was blameless with this idea of sinless. There's only one that's ever been sinless, and that was Jesus Christ. So what we have to look at is what caused him to be blameless in his life. What set Noah apart from the rest of the world, the world that, that broke the heart of God, the world that God was sorry that he created, the world that he vowed to destroy. What set Noah apart from everybody else? Well, here it is. He chose to walk in close fellowship with God. Every step that he took, Lord, I walk with you. Lord, I, I spend time with you. Lord, I want your thoughts to be embedded in my life. God, I want your desires to well up inside of me, God. Lord, I want your ambitions, Lord, to stir me and to lead me and to guide me. God, help me to follow your plans. The Bible says that the the plans of the righteous, the paths of the righteous are ordered of God. That God has a plan for your life and my life. It's our choice. Will we choose to walk in close fellowship with him or are we going to journey in our own pursuits? Noah chose to walk in close fellowship with God. The Bible clearly states that Noah was the only blameless one. He was not swayed by the corrupt world around him, yet he chose to worship, to obey, and to depend upon God in a time where society was looking to please its own fleshly desires. Society was engulfed in sin. Again, the Bible says they were consistently, continuously engrossed in sin. Noah chose to swim upstream, or maybe we should say floats upstream. Noah's actions are a message for you and I, the church, the believer today. While we are not sinless, we are called to be righteous. We are called to be set apart. We are called to be different than the world. As you're walking through your life, there should be something different about you than the person standing next to you. There should be a light. There should be a hope. There should be a joy. There should be something on the inside of you that can't be contained. Noah was a righteous, blameless man, the only one on the earth. Well, some of you are saying, well, pastor, my Bible doesn't say he was blameless. My Bible says that he was righteous. If you've noticed, I've used those words somewhat interchangeably this morning, but theologian Warren Wearsby says it this way, if righteous describes Noah standing before God, then blameless describes his conduct before people. 
If righteous describes his standing before God, then blameless describes his conduct. The actions, the conduct, the behavior, the choices, the words that Noah presented in his daily life, it was done in a way that those around him were not able to find fault in what he has done. So today on your outlines, on each one of these points, I'm going to ask you to rate yourself. Why am I going to do that? Because if we don't rate ourselves, we don't know where we stand. If we don't know where we stand, we don't know how to improve. Yes? It's kind of like when you take your car in for an oil change and they do the multi-point inspection. They don't realize that anything's wrong until they begin to dig in, until they begin to look into your vehicle. In your life today, I'm going to challenge you to really look deep into your life. Rate yourself on each one of these. The first one is this. How visible is your walk with God? It's rating 1 through 10. 1, not visible at all. I'm kind of a Christian chameleon. I kind of blend in to the world and nobody knows that there's something different about me. Oh, they may know that I go to church, but my actions, my behaviors, my thoughts, my, my, my words, none of this resembles God. I'm kind of incognito, so I'd say one. Or maybe it's ten. Man, every time I step out in public, it's like a halo shines above my head and everybody knows, oh, here he comes. I don't know where you fall in that span there. But would you rate yourself today? How visible is your walk with God? The second question that begs to be asked is this. Are you willing to follow God's plan even when it doesn't make sense? Are you willing to follow God's plan even when it doesn't make sense? My wife Angie and I have been there before. See, both times when God has called us to leave a location, a community where we were on staff at a church, it didn't make sense to leave that location. Everything was going well. Things were skyrocketing forward. God was pouring out his spirit. But every time when God said it's time to go, we were willing to take that step of faith to step out into a new journey and say, Lord, here we are. Whatever you have, we're ready to go. Can I just tell you, there's no place I'd rather be than right in the middle of God's will. Right in the middle of God's plan. Saying, Lord, I trust you. Lord, I don't understand. God, it doesn't make sense. But Lord, I'm going to trust you. When we moved here to Sedalia, we were previously on staff at a larger church, almost 900 people. I was the executive pastor there, and some of you know the story. Things were going quite well. We had a secession plan already set up with the lead pastor. He was going to retire in a couple of years, and I was going to just step into that lead pastor role. It was a beautiful, beautiful transition, uh, 900 people. It was a great community. We had been there for about 12 years. It was absolutely incredible, but God said it's time to go. 
And when we left there and came here, the church was 65 people. And by the way, in that other community, we had seven pastors and five support staff. There was a, a team of people working together. We moved here, 65 people, and I was the staff. And I remember there were nights at home, my kids were young, and something funny would happen in the evening, and I would think to myself, oh, I've got to tell the guys in the office about that tomorrow. And then I'd realize, oh, I'm the guys in the office tomorrow. It didn't make sense. We took a pay cut. Didn't make sense. But can I just tell you, what God has done over the last 11 and a half years, it's been absolutely incredible. As we reach not only this community, but now also Warrensburg and soon Lincoln as well, as we dive into these communities and hearts and lives are radically changed for God, I wonder today, are you willing to trust God even when it doesn't make sense? I wasn't telling you that story to pat myself on the back. I just given that as an example. I'm sure there have been moments in my life when I haven't stepped out like I should. But that's my heart. That's my goal is, Lord, whatever you have, Lord, I'm ready to go. What about you? God has instructed Noah to build an ark, this large boat, floating vessel, Building it on dry land because, listen carefully, rain was coming to the earth. This made zero sense because we believe, according to Scripture, that rain had never occurred on the earth. That water would come out of the ground to irrigate the land. Look what it says, Genesis 2-5. For the Lord God had not yet sent rain to water the earth. Instead, springs came up from the ground and it watered all the land. So could you imagine the ridicule that Noah received from those around him? Noah, you're saying to me that water is going to fall from the sky and that the ground is going to open up. There's going to be so much water on the ground. It's going to be covered. Are, are you serious? I wonder, are you willing to trust God even when it doesn't make sense? Are you willing to stand alone when no one else is standing with you? There are some of you here today that God is calling you. He's already begun to speak into your life. He's already begun to challenge you. There are some of you that are watching online today that God's begun to speak into your life. He's given you a direction. He's telling you something that you need to do. And in your mind, it just doesn't make sense. For Noah, he said, you got to build a boat. That's where Noah was. Grab a hold of this. Noah was a man of great obedience. Chapter 6 and 7, it says that Noah did everything as God commanded. He was striving to do exactly what God had called him to do. Is that always easy? No, not a bit. For those of you that have a relationship with Jesus, if he's speaking into your life, if he's telling you, build an ark, it's going to rain, you better get ready because rain is on the way. God told Noah to build this large floating vessel 
By the way, it wasn't a steering boat. It wasn't a bass boat. It wasn't even a pontoon boat. It was just a big floatable crate that he would house not only his family, but two of every kind of animal. How large was this boat? 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. It had three decks, one door, a series of small windows underneath the roof that provide light and ventilation. Three decks would be compartmentalized so that you would house the animals and even Noah's family. Now, the actual kind of wood is kind of questionable. The original Hebrew word is the word for gopher, so it could be gopher wood, cypress wood, teak wood. We don't know the exact kind of tree, so I'm just going to revert back to Sunday school class and call it gopher barky barky. You guys remember that song? God told Noah to build him an arky, arky. God told Noah to build him an arky, arky. Build it out of gopher barky, barky. Yeah, you got it, you got it, you got it. Yeah, so we're going to call it gopher barky. That's what he built this boat out of. And then he waterproofed the whole thing with tar or pitch so that it would float in the water. So here's the question for you. When it doesn't make sense, how would you rate yourself? When it doesn't make sense, will you still follow? It hasn't rained ever. But God said, I'm going to cause so much water that the earth is going to be consumed. So begin to build a boat. I imagine that Noah's first question was this. What's an ark? what's an ark? Why do I need an ark? And God begins to lay this thing out. It's going to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. And he's thinking, I have never built something that large before. When it doesn't make sense, will you still follow? One, not at all. Ten, God, I'm willing to do anything and everything you've called me to do. Our third question is this. Are you willing to trust God to the very end? You see, sometimes it's, it's easy to trust God on the front side of things, yes? But you get about halfway through and you start questioning, do I really want to continue this journey? Do I really want to continue down this road? And some of you begin to jump ship. Oftentimes we think that with Noah and the ark and all these animals that it was 40 days of rain and then suddenly the boat landed and, and the, the little drawbridge came down and everybody came off 40 days. We can all do something for 40 days, right? For the most part. But did you know that it wasn't just 40 days? Chapter 8 says this, After 150 days, exactly five months from the time the flood began, the boat came to rest on the mountain of Ararat. Two and a half months later, as the water continued to go down, another mountain peak became visible. Another, after another 40 days, Noah opened the windows. 
Skip down four verses. After waiting another seven days, two more verses, he waited another seven days. Then he released a dove. Then another verse, verse 13 says, Now Noah was 601 years old. On the first day of the new year, ten and a half months after the flood began, the waters had almost dried up. Verse 14, two more months went by, and at last the earth was dry. Come on, do some quick math here. Ten and a half months plus two months, it's 12.5 months on this boat with all of these animals, with all your family together with you, no escape. In my, one of my study Bibles, it gives these notes. It says, two earth-shattering events caused the flood. The first was the eruption of huge underground reservoirs or pockets of water, perhaps caused by earthquakes or tidal waves. The second was the 40 days of torrential or violent downpour of rain. So 12.5 months, a little bit over a year on this boat, trusting that God would not only stop the rain, but dry up the land. Could you imagine the last two months? Come on, it said at 10 and a half months, the rain had ceased and the waters began to dry up. Could you imagine the anticipation for the last 60 days? The final stretch, the top was open. You could see the ground is drying, but you had not yet been given the all ashore. I imagine by this point, things were getting pretty rough in that large boat. This extensive journey took great faith. Hebrews chapter 11 says this, it was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God, who warned him about things that had never happened before. So here's what I've discovered about God's plans. If you're going to walk by faith, then you have to be willing to go the full distance with him. Let me say that again. If you're going to walk by faith, and by, by the way, the Bible says that we walk by faith as Christians, as believers, as followers of God. We walk by faith, not by sight. It's not, Lord, when I see it, then I'll believe it. God, when I can see it, then I will follow it. But it's, God, I'm going to trust you even though I've never seen it before, even though it doesn't make sense in my mind, even though it's never rained before, even though you've never flooded the ground before. Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to depend upon you every step of the way to the very end. That's faith forward. That's where we stand as a church in this season of time. We stand on the fact that we must go faith forward with God. There are going to be things that God has called us to do corporately that we've never done before. And God's going to say, do you trust me? There are going to be things that God's calling you to do that you've never done before. And he's going to say to you, do you trust me? 
We can't be guilty of waffling back and forth. We've got to be committed fully, completely to the plan of God. Again, he may be asking you to do something that, that appears absolutely crazy. Noah was over 500 years old, 600 years old. It had never rained before. Everyone was against him. Yet he said, Lord, if you've called me to it, Lord, you'll see me through it. So here's the question that begs to be asked. Are you willing to trust God to the end? Not are you willing to trust God to start. Not are you willing to trust God part of the way. But are you willing to say, Lord, yeah, I trust you enough to start. Lord, I'm going to lean on you. I'm going to depend upon you in the midst of it all. But Lord, I trust you to the very, very end. Where do you fall in that? One, I don't trust at all. <laughs> I'm not even starting. Ten, let's go the full race. As Paul said, let's fight the good fight. Let's finish the race. Our final question today is this. Do you show gratitude even when times are hard? Do you show gratitude even when times are hard? As I was preparing for this message, I was doing research in a variety of different commentaries and study books. And one particular commentary that I was reading said that during this time of flooding, that 150 days that we read about just a moment ago, when, let me just go back to that. Chapter 8, verse 3, after 150 days, exactly five months from the time the flood began, in that 150 days, that five months, it is believed that God gave no updates to Noah. God was silent. The heavens ceased to speak. We are told that this was perhaps a test upon Noah. No news updates. No weather alerts. He couldn't pull out his iPhone and, and see what the weather was going to be tomorrow. He didn't get up in the morning and ask Alexa, Alexa, what's the weather going to be like today? No updates. God didn't even speak encouragement into his life. Nothing. God was silent. But in Genesis chapter 8, verse 1, something happened. Look what it says. But God remembered Noah. Come on, if you're watching online today, would you put in the chat, God remembered Noah. It's for you and I today. I want you to understand that God remembered you. God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock with him in the boats. So God sent a wind to blow across the earth. And the flood waters began to recede. Two things in this section of scripture caught my attention. Number one, God is always there. God remembered Noah. 
The Bible says that God is concerned about every detail of our lives. God is concerned about the good times. God is concerned about the bad times. Yeah, there are going to be moments when it seems like everything is silent. But it's in those moments that we must apply the words of the psalmist and be still and know that he is God. We must trust God even in the midst of the flood. The second thing that I see, yes, God is always there. But number two, God brought about a resolution. It says that God sent a wind. A wind began to blow across the earth to dry up the land. So that once again, life could begin to grow. When it was all said and done, God made a covenant with man. Look what it says. Then Noah built an altar before the Lord. And there he sacrificed a burnt offering of animals and birds that had been approved for that purpose. And the Lord was pleased with the aroma. Come on, that's that's a testimony to barbecue right there, right? Glory. The Lord was pleased with the aroma and the sacrifice and he said to himself I will never again curse the ground because of the human race even though everything they think or imagine is bent toward evil from childhood I will never again destroy all living things and suddenly a rainbow went across the sky and Noah's response Noah took the time as he parted departed the boats He took the time to give God praise. He took the time to build an altar, a sacrifice, to give praise and honor and glory to God. Some of you are here today, and you're thinking to yourself, how could he do that 12 and a half months? Absolutely, probably a terrible 12 and a half months. Silence for the majority of that time. How could the first thing he did, how could it be to give God praise? I love the words of Job, found in Job chapter 2. Now, if you remember the story of Job, we'll talk about that in several months. But Job lost it all. His family, his flock, his farm, he lost it all. Everybody around him was telling him just you've done something wrong you need to repent his wife said curse God and die but Job says this should we only accept the good things from the hand of God and never anything bad in other words are we willing to trust God through it all and then in first Thessalonians it says this always be joyful never stop praying be thankful in all circumstances I'm not thankful because of the circumstances, but I'm thankful in the midst of the circumstance. Why? Because God remembered me. God didn't forget about me. Today on your outline, there's a final question. It says, do you praise God even when it's hard? One to ten. I don't praise at all. There's always a song of joy on my heart. Where do you fall in there? 
Today, as we conclude this service, I want to challenge you to make your walk with God visible. To follow God even when you don't understand, even when it doesn't make sense. To trust God to the very end and to show gratitude in all circumstances. Why? Because God sees you. The book of Psalms says that even though that the ropes of death entangle you, he's going to hear your heart's cry. Why? Because he takes delight in you. That's hard for some of us to grab a hold of. Because truth be told, some of us don't even take delight in ourselves. But God sees you. He loves you. He's concerned about every detail of your life. And today he reaches out his hand and says, will you trust me? Will you trust me? Even though the flood waters are crashing against the boats, even though there's been 150 days of absolute silence, will you trust me? Even when you don't know when you can put down the drawbridge and, and come off of the ark, even though you don't know what the end of everything looks like, will you trust me? your heads with me today. Thank you for listening to the Encounter Church podcast. We pray that this message was a blessing and an encouragement to you.